BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to episode number 100 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome on Mariners broadcaster Dave Sims. If you like stories and especially stories about baseball, I think this interview is going to be for you, so stay tuned. The Mariners also acquire Gregory Santos from the White Sox over the weekend. Here's your reminder before we start the show. If you're listening, make sure to download our episodes, rate and review, leave it five stars. It truly, truly helps us out a ton. Leave a written review too. And if you're watching on YouTube, you see that big red subscribe button, just go ahead and click it. It helps us out a ton, just like the audio downloads do. And if you like and comment, it helps the show get out a little bit more as well. Once you're done with that, you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. I mean, welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network. Recording here on Monday evening, February 5th. And did you hear the three digits at the beginning, dog? We have made it to 100. It's pretty wild. How are you going to start reading out the shows and your intros moving forward? Are you going to say 101, 102, or are you going to go 101, 102? I guess that's a decision for a Thursday when, when I have to say it for the first time. I think the best people, they'll just go out on a whim and they're going to they just it's right off the top of their head. I got to make it catchy, though, right? Well, whatever flows best. That's what I'm saying. I just didn't know if you've given it any thought or if you've decided to just like you said, kind of wing it when the time comes. All right, dog. I had a, some last minute inspiration. This is if there's anything to make you go watch the show on YouTube. It's to see what I'm about to do right now. There's a very famous photo when it comes to 100 in sports. A very famous photo of Wilt Chamberlain sitting in the locker room after he scored 100 points. And, dog, I just got to say, oh, upside down. There we go. Look at us. No, no, you had it right the first time. Oh, oh this looks right for me. Well, for Should me, it looks direct- like 001. There you go. For the listeners, now it looks like 100. Okay, there you so go. whichever way you view this, uh, if it looked right for me or if it looks right for Lyle, now you got 100, baby. All right, we're going to get one last one of this just in case it flips around like this. But we did it, Lyle. We did it. 100 smile. 
smile for the photo. We're going in the paper tomorrow because we hit triple digits. How about that? That's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Look, we kind of did our yearly wrap up at the end of December, so we don't have to spend a whole 20 minutes or whatever diving into all of it. I will say though, I think we've mentioned this before that most pod, the the stat is 90% of podcast episodes don't get past the third one. And then an additional 90% beyond that, I believe, do not get past the 15th or 20th. So yeah, we're sitting at 100. Not everybody does that. And the fact we've kept this going and the fact people are interested enough to follow along is really, really cool. So I know we always talk about it when this stuff comes up, but it's really all a credit to you guys who are nice enough and and who are nice enough to take the time and listen, in which we are very, very appreciative. And it's very on brand that we're about to hit a 100 right as we're about to dive into season number two. So it's exciting, and we could be at episode number 200 by sometime. Sometime, uh, I can't do math, but we can figure it out. (laughs) Well, (laughs) 52 weeks in a year, two episodes a week, uh, probably a little over a year from now, but, you know. Given given an emergency episode or two, you never know, right? Yeah, I was so, going to say it should be about a year. So yeah, it's exciting, give or take. And lucky for us, a lot of emergency episodes because of uh, Jerry Depoto doing what he did this weekend. Well, sources are telling me that one of the best bullpens in baseball somehow managed to get better this weekend. Doesn't it feel like an eon since that trade's happened too? That trade happened on Saturday. Like two days ago at the time of recording this, four days ago at the time that this episode gets released, it feels like it was forever ago. I know we didn't do an emergency episode about it, but it feels like forever since we've hopped on this mic since the trade happened, because I feel like I've just been itching to talk about it. Now we're finally going to sit here and talk about it, because don't undersell this move, people. This is this is a big move that the Mariners made, because it's a move that makes their bullpen for, go from good to a legitimate threat, like a deadly threat. And he honestly replaces the he replaces what the Mariners lost in the Jorge Polanco trade just days earlier with with mm-hmm. Justin Topa. The more I look at Gregory Santos, which they acquired from the White Sox in exchange for Perlander Baroa, Zach Deloach, and the 69th overall pick in this upcoming draft, you draft you can trade compensatory draft picks, and that's what Jerry did to make this happen. Santos was expected to be the closer in Chicago this season, however. Bad teams don't really need closers, which made him expendable. I don't know how many people thought he was going to be available, but man, oh man, uh, according to uh, our friends over at the Pinwheels and Ivy podcast who wanted a, wanted a synopsis on the trade from our side, Lyle went on them with them earlier this uh, offseason when he got dragged through the mud for his Luis Robert trade package idea. Went on there and sort of settled the water down with uh, with a lot of White Sox Nation, but it, they were they were mentioning to us, hey, like this guy Santos is, was supposed to be the closer this year for the White Sox, and it's a deadly combination. He's got a sinker that gets up over a hundred miles an hour. He's got a slider that grades out run value wise as the second best slider in all of baseball behind Clayton Kershaw. He's got a got a pretty good slider himself, and Kershaw threw over three hundred more sliders than Santos did this past season and he only had one more run value and run value accumulates uh in volume not on a on not on a rate basis so that kind of tells you how good that pitch is and the Mariners did it for uh trading a minor league reliever a minor league outfielder and a draft pick for him and all of a sudden 
that Justin Topa role, it seems like it's filled right back up again. Gregory Santos is 24 years old. He has five years of club control. For people that are upset about losing Prelander Baroa, a guy who is essentially unproven, has barely thrown any big league innings, and even though he has high upside, is a guy that you hope becomes Gregory Santos. That's what everybody's saying, and I agree. The Mariners, if they kept Baroa, hoped he would turn into Gregory Santos. Instead, now they have Santos, and instead you just sacrifice one year of club control. Again, five years of control at 24 years old for a guy that has absolutely disgusting stuff like Santos does. You talked about the slider. He throws a sinker that was in year one of its debut. He had not thrown a sinker before this year. And it gets up to triple digits, often 101, 102 miles an hour. So you're throwing bullets like that at 101, 102, and then you're dropping in that deadly slider that not only misses a ton of bats, his slider, yes, his slider gets up to 95 miles an hour. Paul Seawald's fastball basically topped out at 95 miles an hour. This guy is electric, dude. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good that's a pretty good way to put it. Uh, and just to remind people, Perlander Barrow is only one year younger than Gregory Santos. Perlander Barrow is twenty three years old, and he was going to be making his full season debut with the Mariners this season. We we assumed he's going to make his full season debut with the Mariners. Santos already has an entire year under his belt, so this will be the twenty twenty three Gregory Santos year for Perlander Barrow on the South Side. I don't know if that's a great comparison, though, Lyle, with with saying uh, it was really easy for people to throw around and say, hey, you know, Santos is the what Perlander Burrow wishes he's going to be at his peak in the big leagues. They're not really the same pitcher, to be honest. Santos has unbelievable stuff, but Perlander Burrow is the guy with the 37% strikeout rate in double A this year. While Santos was about the, he's about a league average strikeout guy with a below uh, a better than league average walk rate at about six percent. Meanwhile, Barrow was walking over double that fourteen point four percent in Double A this past season. It's 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 not really an apples to apples comparison, but for what the Mariners have sort of archetyped their bullpen around, it fits right in. I mean, you got a sinker baller and Taylor Saucedo. Andres Munoz is transformed into a sinker baller and the focus really of the Mariners bullpen last year, especially was to not allow any home runs. Speaking of not allowing home runs, do you want to guess how many home runs the top three, the trio in the Mariners bullpen Munoz, Brash, and now Santos have combined to allow last year? So the answer for Santos is two. He, he does not give up home runs. He doesn't give up barrels and we can get to that in a minute, but it's two for Santos. Brash, I'm going to say four. And Munoz, I'm going to say five. It's lower. Okay. They gave Bra- up a combined, the three of them gave up a combined seven home runs in 189 innings. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to hit those dudes. I mean, man, is that, man, is this bullpen going to be good? The, the the way to protect against volatility as a bullpen is to not give up home runs. Bullpens are notoriously year-to-year, streaky. 
guys will have bad years just out of nowhere. You know, a, a big reason why guys have bad years is because they let a couple balls go over the fence. Well, if you just don't allow any home runs, man, it's really hard to to get blown up as a reliever because odds are if you still have great stuff, then your stuff's going to win out if they can't just poke one over the wall. So can I piggyback on that with Santos here? Because to read his full season numbers from 2023, his ERA was 339. It's a really good season for a reliever. But when you talk about not allowing home runs and all the expected stats that Santos held over to, over the course of 23, it represents exactly that. Because all of his underlying numbers say he should have been even better than his 339 ERA. XERA 311, FIP 265, XFIP 331, Sierra 332. So all those numbers say for as good as Santos was, he actually should have been even better. And a lot of that forms from, well, he didn't give up a lot of home runs. So the things that were in his control, he did to the pinpoint of his ability. Do you know how many extra base hits he gave up on his slider this past year? He gave up one home run on his slider, right? Just one, I want to say. Oh, he didn't give up any. He gave up one double on his slider this year. He allowed on his slider a 196 batting average and a 203 slug. That's so wild. That, and we talk about the sinker as being the pitch that doesn't allow extra base contact. Well, his slider actually like flat out didn't allow anything. Period. The only thing you could do with his slider is hit it for a base hit. That's it. Period. And now he's going to go to a pitching development staff that has worked miracles on some of these relievers over the past two seasons to form what is arguably the best bullpen in baseball. It is crazy. The, The imagination is crazy of what the Mariners could do with this guy this upcoming season. What kind of tweaks would they want to make with his slider? What about his sinker? A pitch that, again, he was just he was just trying to feel out this year. I mean, Jason Benetti went on Brock and Salk today to talk about this, today being Monday. And Benetti, he's now the voice of the Tigers, but he called games for the White Sox last season and was up close and personal watching Gregory Santos out of the bullpen. A, a couple of really just amazing things came out of that conversation, I thought. First off, like he mentioned, he's like, crazy how efficient a guy can be when He's literally just trying to learn that pitch. He spent last year, he ditched his four-seamer because the pitching coach who was in San Francisco with him came over to Chicago with Santos. And they're like, all right, Santos, I, I don't really love your, your four-seam fastball. Let's have, you, let's have you learn to throw a sinker. And that's essentially what he spent last year doing. Uh, and then second, I know he only had a 6% walk rate, but Benetti goes, like, he wasn't even very good ahead of hitters. I think his control and command can be way better. Like <laughs> with a 6% walk rate that's already there, like that's pretty crazy. And last thing, the quote that left a memorable impression with me, he made some of the best hitters in baseball look scared at the plate. Luis Arise doesn't strike out ever. And what did Gre- Gregory Santos do in year one of learning a sinker? He threw 101 down and away to Luis Arise and made him look stupid on a strikeout. Arise doesn't strike out. Like, he doesn't strike out, period. But he did against Santos. And to your point about the slider, this is why Santos is primarily a slider first reliever. He throws his slider more than any other pitch. He throws it just over 52% of the time. Sinker comes next. 
which is normal as, as everybody knows nowadays in baseball. Doesn't You don't have to throw your fastball as your primary pitch. Throw your best pitch that you, that's your primary pitch. Sometimes that's the case with starters too, but that's certainly the case with Santos. We should contextualize his sinker a little bit because you're talking about how it was a pitch he was learning. As he was learning it, while the actual velocity on, on it is very good, it did get hit around a little bit last year. And this is the one kind of downside with Santos's arsenal. Now, to, before I even read it out, he may just totally have a 180 this upcoming year, learning with the Mariners staff and getting a new change of scenery. It could be amazing this year. In 2023, opponents hit 343 against the sinker. That's high. That doesn't change the fact that he had a great year overall. But with that pitch, there's still things he needs to learn and kind of feel out the tweaks for. But you know what? I wouldn't be shocked at all if come 2024, both those pitches are just nasty. And sinkers aren't really supposed to be a swing and miss pitch. Like, if we're thinking about this, I wouldn't be shocked if Santos stays as sort of a 22, 23, 24% strikeout guy. Because in the end, he's trying to generate ground balls, and that's uh, and that's what Topa did so well. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be overly shocked if you if he, if that slider becomes like uh, like a twenty twenty two Andres Munoz slider and just decimates opponents. But I think a realistic way to look at this is saying, sure, he could be significantly more effective on the mound for the Mariners. I just don't know if that's going to come in the form of strikeouts. I think it might come more in the form of a Justin Topa level of just pure run prevention and just throwing a wet blanket on whoever's at the plate because his sinker, while it's hittable, hittable, meaning you can put the bat on it, you're not going to do anything with it once you actually hit the baseball. It may not come through strikeouts, but the run value on it last year was minus eight. It can mm-hmm. improve and it, and it probably will because again, he's thrown it for one season. So I think it will improve and I'm sure the Mariners think it will improve. That's the other part of this too, Right. When the trade went down, there was a select group of people, and of course, you shouldn't judge how people feel online for the most part, but there were people saying, why did they go out and give up Barella? Why did they go out and trade for a bullpen arm? Why didn't they just either sign somebody or stick with the knowledge they have and and keep these guys that they just find for league minimum and turn them into good relievers? Guys, don't you think if the Mariners of all teams who have been just impeccable with reliever development... Don't you think if they're identifying this guy to go out and trade for, you'd have to think they believe he is going to be not just good, but probably elite. Otherwise, they're not giving up all these guys for a reliever. But to have five years of control for a 24-year-old with this type of stuff, I, I tr- how could you not trust the Mariners at this point to believe what they're seeing in Santos and say, yeah, this guy's going to be a weapon for us? And I don't know, uh, I, I don't really understand holding on to to Prillian or Burrell when you when you see what the Mariners can do with relievers like you're like okay well Burrell looks great in the minor leagues they've they've still been again the Mariners have been frustrated and they've shown their frustration with his inability to control the strike zone like he would have been up last year Lyle if he could throw more strikes and not walk a bunch of guys like it like I think that's pretty simple Right, he still ended up walking over fourteen percent of his batters last season. If that's below ten percent, he's a big leaguer last year, and and the Mariners don't have as much bullpen struggle down the stretch because they have another lockdown arm in the bullpen. But they couldn't do that because they didn't trust him. And I don't know if they trusted him any more now than they did back in August and September of last season when they really needed that help. So what's a great way to fix that? If someone else thinks they can do something with him, like the Chicago White Sox, you make the best of the situation. You wish him well, and he's going to get 
all the opportunity in the world to work out all of his problems at the big league level next year and perhaps leverage situations because the White Sox don't really have much else. They had Gregory Santos and they didn't have much else, especially with Liam Hendricks on the shelf. So it's good for him. And it's also good for the Mariners that they get someone who they feel like is a little more proven and a little bit more ready to slide into a role that they feel like has been left in their bullpen in that void that Justin Toba left. And they insert someone right in with Gregory Santos, who has better stuff than Justin Toba does. Yeah, this is really exciting. Also, I wouldn't be shocked if Barella's closing games by the end of the year for the White Sox, maybe halfway through the season. That has Hmm. to be one of the worst bullpens in baseball, the White Sox. Like yeah, I wouldn't. Be, I wouldn't be shocked either. And Zach Deloach probably going to get a good chunk of playing time with the White Sox. They don't have the outfield depth, especially in the sort of style that Deloach was stuck behind Cade Marlowe and Taylor Trammell and Dom Canzone in the Mariners organization. I mean, seriously, like Cade Marlowe, Taylor, and Zach Deloach were all sort of in the same mold of outfielder, where it was like somewhere between AAA. And the major leagues, left-handed hitting, above-average power, strikeout problems, could play multiple positions in the outfield. And, I mean, that he was last on that list. So he's going to go to Chicago, and he's probably going to play a little bit more. I Thankfully, while there were enough rational people online that I didn't see people be like, we're giving up on Zach Deloach already? <laughs> yeah. Even you talk about those three. If you want to look at the Mariners' entire outfield depth as a whole, it was just it just felt like Deloach was stuck. So you take all the starters. You have Julio, you have Hanniger, you have Rayleigh, you have Don Canzone, you have Marlowe, you have Trammell. That's six guys ahead of them. And then if you factor in the, in the not the platoon guys, if you factor in the utility guys and Demo and Sam Haggerty, there's a lot of guys ahead of Zach Deloach that are playing the outfield. It made sense to give him a new opportunity, especially if you're going to get an arm that's this good out of the bullpen and Gregory Santos. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Now, I have a question for you, Lyle. There's a, there's a couple things that that you spurned a discussion of that I want to throw to you and we can bounce my ideas off each other. We're thinking of how good this bullpen trio is with the Mariners. And there's another notable bullpen trio in the American League West with Josh Hader, Ryan Presley, and Brian Abreu of the Houston Astros. Is this current Mariners trio better than that trio now? Better than the Astros trio? Yes. Is the current Mariners trio better than the Astros' current trio of relievers? Yes, correct. Give me the Mariners. I'm taking the Mariners. And maybe, look, maybe some people are going to scratch their heads. Can I give my reasoning behind this? Yeah, you can give your reasoning. So this trio of Gregory Santos, Matt Brash, and Andres Munoz finished almost a full win better than the Astros' trio in 2023. That's by war. The Mariners were almost a full win better. Their projected war in 2024, the Mariners sit at 3.4 with that trio. Santos ranks first. Munoz ranks 10th. Brash ranks 11th. The Astros sit at 2.1. Brian Abreu ranks 17th. Hader ranks 20th. Ryan Presley ranks 37th. Oh, but it gets better. The Mariners. The Mariners trio had the better combined fit than the Astros last year. Mariners were at 2.53, Astros were at 3.01. The Mariners had the better combined XCR, sorry. The Mariners had the better combined walks per 9 than the Astros bullpen last year. The Mariners trio combined for 3.34 walks per 9, Astros trio combined for 3.62. 
And the XCRAs between these two are almost neck and neck. The Astros have the slight advantage. Houston's at 310. Mariners are at 312. You got the war. You got the FIP. You've got the walks per nine. Look, it's close. This Astros bullpen's really good. For the record, I think Brian Abreu is the best singular reliever of these six. But of the trio, I'm taking the Mariners. That's a really good argument. That's really good. I can't get over the fact that of the trio of Astros relievers we're comparing against, uh, one had an ERA of one two eight. <clears throat> Let me repeat myself: one two eight last year. That was Josh Hader's ERA last year. The other one, Brian Abreu, had an ERA of one seven five last year. And the third guy, Ryan Presley, is the longest tenured and most consistent year-to-year reliever of the three. I mean, this dude had a sub-three ERA for every season since he's been an Astro until last season, of course. I mean, he had wins uh, wins above replacement since 2018, 1.8, 1.6, and the COVID season, 2.4, 1.4, 1.1. He's getting a little older, but reliability factor is is unbelievable. Here's how I'm going to frame this. I think this Mariners trio has better stuff than the Astros trio. That's a hot take in of itself. But I think the Astros trio in the past has executed better and has proven on the field that they've been a better trio. That can change this year with different results. But for now, I'm going to I would still slightly slightly go with the Astros. Trio. Just the trio. We're just talking three guys. That's all we're talking about. We don't want to talk whole bullpens. That's a different discussion. Josh Hader walked a lot of guys last year. I know his ERA was low, but he walked a lot of guys. That isn't the greatest sign in the world. That signals there could be some regression next year. I don't know. Yeah. And he had a regression year. He had one in 2022. He had an ERA over five. But the year before that, he had another sub one five ERA. Like that's uh, at the end of the game, at the end of the day, Lyle, it is about run prevention. We we do love our expected numbers, but once the season has come around, Josh Hader has had has not allowed very many runs. So it's true. It's true. But I told you I was going to save this argument for the show because again, there's a lot of categories you go down the list where this trio of Mariners guys is ahead of Houston. So I think most people will look at Hader, they'll look at Abreu, they'll look at the sub two ERAs and say, yeah, it's them. And then you throw in Ryan Presley too, who's been a model of consistency. But I think this Mariners trio has a case. I really do. I'm sure it'll all play out during the year. And this is just supposed to be a fun exercise and a good way of saying both these bullpens are going to be very good. But that's how much better I think the Mariners pen just got with Gregory Santos. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only 
new customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. That's enticing. Let me throw one more thing in. Gregory Santos, or I think I said it before, but just to make it clear. Gregory Santos has the highest zips projection for all relievers in F4 for 2024. Highest one. He is number one. He's ahead of everybody. Ahead of Edwin Diaz. Ahead of everybody. That's pretty exciting. That is pretty exciting. There's one more argument I think you want to make. I do. After everything the Mariners have done, and I know we said it after the Jorge Polanco trade, but I'm going to say it again here after the Santos trade. Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander. I want to get better about giving Hollander a lot of the, a lot of the credit for this because he's a he deserves a ton of it. He's the GM now. He negotiates a bunch of these deals. Jerry and Justin deserve a ton of credit for what they've done. Again, this offseason, traded for Luis Urias. We'll see how he does. Traded for Jorge Polanco, signed Mitch Garver, traded for Luke Rayleigh, traded for Mitch Hanniger. Now trades for Gregory Santos, and they've got a bunch of money left to spend at the deadline or throughout the year. So that being said, after all the moves the Mariners have made this winter, can they win the AL West? They can. Do you know the Vegas projections aren't that far apart? The bubble of the top three teams in the American League West. The Rangers, according to FanDuel, are at 92. Rangers. The Astros, according to FanDuel, are at 92.5. The Rangers are at 89.5. And the Mariners are at 86.5. I do believe they took Gregory Santos into account with this. It said it had updated that day. So we're going we're gonna to roll with that. So that is six wins separating the three teams for the Vegas projections. There's two teams on the end and one team in the middle. And you know what? Over the course of one 162-game schedule, six wins is almost definitely within the margin of error for a season. So that's a, that leads me to say yes. I don't think the Mariners are a favorite. I still think the Astros should be a favorite because they have the best combination of hitting and pitching in the division. I don't know how much people can dispute that because they are they're pretty loaded. But there is no perfect team in the American League West. This isn't the 2019 Astros. Shit, this isn't the 2017, 18, or 19 Astros. This isn't the 2022 Astros who won the World Series. I mean, last year's Rangers team by no means was a juggernaut in the regular season, but they got it done when it came to postseason. I think there are three equally flawed teams that could win the American League West next season. Pick pick whatever strength you want of any of these three teams. The Mariners have the best starting rotation. The Mariners have the best bullpen. The Rangers have the best lineup. The Astros have the best combination of the two. So it all depends on what you favor and how you're going to pick this starting lineup. But there's a real case that you could definitely talk yourself into the Mariners winning the American League West next year. Now, if they went out and went, went made one more marquee signing or one more marquee acquisition, <clears throat> Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman. <clears throat> if they did one of those three, then you and I would be on here carrying the water for the Mariners to win the American League West this season. Flat out. I might already be talking myself into the Mariners winning the American League West. I just look at where they stood at the end of last year. They were two wins shy of catching both Texas and Houston. This is a team that had problems in the rotation with injuries a lot of the year. They relied on rookies who were awesome. The offense could not get out of its own way half the time. They were leaving all these guys on base. They were 6-14 and 14 in extra inning games last year. 
which was one of the worst records in extra innings in all of baseball. I don't think that's going to happen again. There's a lot of reasons to believe this team can win the West with their pitching, with their bullpen, and with the offense now, I think, marginally improved. Or sorry, marginally signals that it's only slightly improved. No, I think it is a full step improved than where it was at the end of 23. I think they could win the West. I do. Am I going to be shocked if Texas or Houston wins it instead? No. I think the Mariners can absolutely win the American League West. Can, yeah. I just can't talk them above Houston. I can't do it. You know, like, I, I wanted to. I wanted to, and then, and then I took a peek. Did you know the Astros in their, their current lineup? I'm not even going to get to their pitching staff yet. Their current lineup, they have three players in Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, and Jose Altuve, who have multiple peak seasons higher than any peak season of all any of the nine players in the Mariners lineup. Three players. That's uh that's what we call an aircraft carrier. And this is I don't think this is a hot take. Uh, like Julio, love you, dude. Uh he's been an air an air a real aircraft carrier in the lineup for about a month in his major league career. At like an, a true unstoppable force in the lineup. I think a lot of 2022 he was that. You look at his numbers from May and on of aircraft 20- carrier. Uh, like a tr- May and on of 2022 by WRC plus he was a top 5 hitter in baseball. I would call that an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. No. I think he is an uh, aircraft maybe, uh, carrier. Not not to the level of his counterparts what I just who I just mentioned. Okay, he's not Jordan Alvarez. I like I no. what makes him so what makes him so superior to Kyle Tucker? Or sorry, inferior to Kyle Tucker. Because he has not had the production at the plate that Kyle Tucker has had in the same oh. years that they've been playing. Again, Kyle Tucker is a better hitter by WRC plus. Okay, sure. He was last year, right? Yeah, and, and he- when Julio's in the minors in twenty twenty one, it was like Kyle Tucker's gone 140, 126, and 144. I think I have that right in the last three who, seasons. Again, you throw out that month of April for Julio in 22. I don't, I don't know how you're calling him anything else. I mean, I could throw out months of Kyle Tucker, too. I'm not trying to slight Julio. I'm just saying what the numbers say. Okay. We can agree to disagree on that one. I think that the Astros, again, obviously are on paper, a better offense than the Mariners. Obviously, you didn't even talk about Alex Bregman. You didn't talk about how good Yiner Diaz was last year. Right. It's a good offense. That being said, the Astros, the only reason the Astros won the division last year is because George Kirby shut out the Rangers in a meaningless game 162. That happens, then the Rangers win the division. Astros come in second. I don't know what their run looks like from there on out. Otherwise, maybe they play somebody else. Maybe they lose. Again, maybe they would have lost to the Orioles if they had played those guys. But... If that and if that had happened, would you be saying anything different about Houston right now? I don't know. Maybe, uh, but all we have to do right now is look on paper. That's all we got. I, that's why we. I know you and I just can't wait until they start playing games so we can start formulating opinions on what actually happens on the field. I, it's not out of the question. It is within the margin of error right now for the Mariners to win the American League West. And if you think the Mariners can win the American League West, like that is a completely fair, logical idea to have i would not like i could disagree but it's not it's not crazy i'm with that i think it's going to be another really fun year in the al west i think there's going to be three teams that are going to be pretty neck and neck all year which makes for some fun baseball i just wish it wasn't still 
about two months away. I'm itching for it. I know we're getting close to spring training, but I think I'm already itching for real regular season baseball. I think everybody is. Okay, let's take a quick pause. Let's talk about our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85 because what do we like to do? We like to go hang out there because they have great food. Make sure to try their pizza. They have a full drink menu. They got a pool table in the place. They got 22 TVs in the place. It's just a perfect spot to go hang out with your friends. You want to watch games. You want to just sit back and talk, catch up. Again, you want to go out to eat. It's got it all. And if you go during happy hour, they've got some good drink specials, some really good drink specials. They are from Monday through Friday. That's happy hour from 2 to 6 p.m. They feature $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, and $4 House Wines. Those are some pretty good deals. So you want to catch some of those and hang out with your friends? Head over to Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Well, I think we had another pretty good guest on this week, if I can say so myself. Another member of the Mariners broadcast team. I'm... I. And I mean this in a very polite way to Dave Sims. I always forget how old he is. So I don't really, it never really dawns on me how much sports and how much baseball he has seen in his life. It's truly incredible. And I think a lot of it comes out here in this discussion. I mean, uh, like there's a notable photo that I bring up in this interview of him interviewing a very, very famous baseball player that just like and it looks from eons ago but like but dave like remembers it like it was yesterday and brings out some of the some of the really cool stories of the people he he grew up watching in in philadelphia and it, it just it's so cool and dave is uh he, he's such an awesome dude and, and a nice guy and really as i said in the beginning if you like stories like this is a conversation for you because he he has a ton of them you want stories about Old-time baseball, he's got them. You want stories about the nicknames he comes up with for players, he's got them. You want the stories about those broadcast cameras being inside the booth for some of his iconic moments, that's in this interview too. And to your point, I'll say about the age thing, you never know it listening listening to him call a game, especially when he calls a big moment. He sounds like he's he's just broken, basically, by the energy he has, which is a credit to Dave for how much he captures the audience at every big moment that makes him so that that's part of what makes him so great at what he does and he's just like that in the interview too which is which we really appreciate it all right let's get to our interview now with mariners broadcaster dave sims all right we welcome on mariners broadcaster dave sims dave thank you so much for taking some time to join us here today so off seasons you spend broadcasting basketball back on the east coast so question to start you off here while you're calling basketball, which one of your catchphrases from baseball do you miss using the most? CJ <laughs> uh, and Lyle, uh, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Um, I've not, no, I, have, I, I can't use giddy up because nobody's hitting the ball out of the yard, but I throw in a hay now. And there was a game I did, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember. Oh, wait, oh, it was the Creighton Seton Hall triple overtime game Saturday a week ago. And a kid came down uh, for Creighton and right side, and he had been hot, and, and he caught it in rhythm and let it rip. And I, hey, no, you know, so, but that's about it, yeah. You could use Giddy Up on a dunk, right? Yeah, I, I'll try to work it in Saturday. I got, uh, I got Marquette at Georgetown Saturday and Villanova hosting Providence Sunday, so maybe we can work it in. How'd these calls come to fruition over the years? Did you just think of them on the fly, or did you give it some thought? Uh, that's a really good question. I wasn't like, I got to have a 
catchphrase. It was just like going with it. It's such a, I, I think I, I'm very, I'm quite visceral in my broadcasting. I really get into the feel of flow and, you know, Hey, now with something, you know, without, you know, without cussing or anything. I, I, and I remembered that from, uh, I know Howard Stern uses it. Uh, was on the Gary Shandling show years ago. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, who played Hank Kingsley, who was like an Ed McMahon announcer. And you go, hey, now, here's, you know, here's uh, Gary. And one of those kind of things. So I remembered that. And one, and I, and I threw it out there one time. I think that was one I ran by my, my two sons. I said, yeah, go for it. Why not? I think I remember correctly with your Nelson Cruz one, your boomstick baby, that you didn't even going into the season have one for him. I think that was correct. And it just, it came up the first time he hit a home run and you stuck with it. Well, you know, when his, his time in Houston, in Texas, when we'd walk to the clubhouse, you'd see this big, uh, you guys are too young to remember Oscar Meyer Wiener, but it was like a, a golf cart with this big old uh, oversized, you know, million times bigger uh, hot dog. A hot dog bun thing, and it had boomstick on it, and that was his name. Long story short, uh, 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 Slick Leonard, who was a good player and a coach in the NBA, ABA, when Reggie Miller had hit a shot from three, go boom, baby. So I put it all together. I ran again, ran it by my sons, ran it by Nelly, and then he loved it. He absolutely loved it. I remember his first year with us was fifteen, I believe it was, and he had a good month of April. And I, so every day, you know, like going to the clubhouse, he's come here, come here, come here. And he gets his iPhone out and he starts playing. Somebody had done a mashup and all you hear was, boom, steak, baby, boom, steak, baby, Nelson Cruz. And he showed all these home runs. He was like, ah, he enjoyed it. And it, boy, I tell you what, I miss him. Not, not only because, you know, those calls are, you know, are done, but just a great guy. And he was such an incredible part of what we had there for four years. How much do the players remember and and maybe repeat back your catchphrases to you? Because uh, I was reading a Daniel Kramer article that I think he wrote last season, and he was saying that Cal, when you, the Mariners put the GoPro in the booth to to capture you, and you're saying "Hey now" at the top of your lungs, and uh, Cal comes up to you, and he, he was quoting that article. He's like the pitch to Acevedo, yeah, and, and I'm sure he's I got the it. whole call memorized. Right, right. <laughs> that, that's funny because my wife, my wife even said when she saw it, she said, "Why were you like singing Acevedo?" I, went, I don't know. He's just going. I'm watching. Here's a pitch from Acevedo, and Cal said his whole family does it now, or did it, you know, right after that. Uh, one, there was one time last year. I, I was either had a day off. Or I wasn't on TV. Tay Oscar Hernandez hit a home run, so I see him the next day. Hey man, I wanted to hear you call my home run. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. That was uh, so. I think the next time he, he hit a home run, I, I made sure I saw him that day or the next day. Say, hey, I nailed that one for you. <laughs> Did you run by the Murph by Tom Murphy before that one started? Because that's no, one I always no. loved. No, I you know uh, Kevin Lockery who was a coach of the Nets years ago when I was covering the NBA, and he was, he was a pretty good player, good shooter. And I never knew why, but they, his nickname was the Murph. And so it just sort of fit. It just it was just like I think it's the speaker that's going bozo, bozo here. Um, that was just sort of a natural career. It just felt good. I mean, baseball's all about nicknames. you got to have fun with that. I mean, we got great nicknames in, in, uh, in the, the history of the sport. And the Murph and I know a lot of Irish guys, so I mean, it just you know, it just sort of fit. I'm gonna miss him too. He's a good guy, really. Good yeah, guy. he 
Yeah, he was. Do you have any inklings on some some new ones for this season? Care to? I haven't, uh... thought, about it. I haven't thought about it. You know, when okay. it happens, it happens. You know, I'm not sitting here and I, like before I, I I hooked up with you guys. You know, I'm trying to work ahead. I get these two games at the end of the week, so I like to be ahead ahead of schedule. I'm here, you know, in the house by myself. You know, my, my kids are grown. My wife's visiting her mother, so I got time to like jam and get my stuff down. Yes, I'm not even thinking about. I'm not even really thinking that much about baseball because when we count, when we get to it, it's going to be immersive. So and it's going to be fun. And you know, if we come up with some uh, some some more nicknames, so be it. So I want to jump to the 2021 season, and you. uh, I mentioned the GoPro aspect. I'm sticking the GoPro in the booth, and your two calls: the first one of the Mitch single in 2021. And then, of course, the Cal clincher in 2022 were two of the most viral moments in Mariners history. And it's accompanied by you on video. And it's it's really fantastic. But Dave, the first time they walked in there and said, hey, we're going to set a camera up and point it at you instead of at the field. I mean, what was your reaction? Well, I, I got it. They said, listen, we haven't been in playoffs in Eon, so we got to document this. This could be an historic historic occasion. Tim Walsh uh, and his crew, and he was new to the club that year. And you know, like, you know, we gotta we gotta memorialize this. This is a big deal. I mean, you're talking what oh one since the last playoffs. And I thought it was a great idea, but I never thought you know I wasn't playing to the camera. Who was it? Uh, Dick Bremer, uh, the Twins uh, TV veteran TV guy, good guy, good broadcast, very good broadcast. He says. Was that you that put the girl? I said, dude, come on. You know me. Well, that's, that's not how I roll. Come on. I said, it was our social media guy. See, and I told, told him the same thing. He says, okay, good. He says, it was really good. It worked. And uh, so that that's how it came about. And it was great. Driving home, my phone was going, <laughs> it was just buzzing and going crazy. And the same thing happened you know, a year later when Cal, you know, they got us into the playoffs. So, yeah, it, it's been fun. And. I'd like to think I was pretty much on a map, but that that certainly reinforced it. That's a darn sure. <laughs> <laughs> I am curious about the Cal Raleigh home run call, and and one reason I wanted to ask you about this is because big league ball players are big league ball players for many reasons, but one reason why because they're not phased by the big moment. It's the same thing with big league broadcasters; you live for it, and when it happens, you're not phased by it. That being said, and you didn't know it was going to happen by a walk off home run, but. When you started to get the inkling that, okay, the Mariners were going to clinch, whether it's a day before, a week before, whenever, was there any little extra signal going off in your head saying, all right, when this happens, I got to nail it? Well, yeah, you got to nail it. Don't don't screw it up. And, you know, don't stop. Don't trip over your tongue. And but, you know, that happens in a moment. You're not thinking about like, had I rehearsed something and then I would have been trying to hunt and peck to try to remember it. Screw that. I mean, if I was that good remembering remembering lines and all that stuff, I would have gone on and been an actor. I mean, I, I think there's a, you know, uh, you know, want to be actor slash, you know, stand up comic in my, in my deep in my bones, but that was just a react. And I, those are, that's the best way for me. And I, and I think a lot of guys would probably agree with that. Uh, the best way to go with, it. I mean, let it come from your heart and your soul and your head, man. And, that, and that's what I did. And uh, Lord knows uh, I've been around long enough with the Mariners to know the situation and know, the hurt, the disappointment, and certainly I anticipated. I always wondered what the joy would feel like. I think I showed it on that. 
are you able to put into words like the emotions you felt that night? Like we've talked to so many fans about what that night meant to them and and the and the drought and et cetera. And you come over no. from the East Coast in 2007 to take this job with the Mariners. Uh, like no, the just like Scott told the players, say the drought's not on you. Don't worry yeah. about it. Just like you came in and the drought was already started, and but you saw. A, a big bulk of that. So, so when that night happens and everyone's in in the stand celebrating, what's going through your your mind as well as that night goes on? Oh, the, the adrenaline adrenaline was in the left lane doing ninety five in a thirty five mile an hour zone. I mean, it was uh, it was tremendous. I, those are, I mean, that could be you know, those are once in a lifetime moments, and you, you savor it and you enjoy it. And I think probably my, my biggest thanks is. I didn't cuss or anything. It's like, you better freaking believe this or, you know, something like that. Some stupid. And, and that was, you know, it wasn't the case. I nailed it. And um, I feel good about it to this day. And uh, what was it? So Cal said it was a 22 scene. So last was, it? yeah, last year we go to Chicago and play the Cubs early in April. Unseasonably warm day. And the first day and I'm down on the field and uh, Cubs are taking BP. And I'm walking up towards the cage, and David Ross, and I was, I said, I got to meet David Ross. I had met him once before, but very briefly. And, uh, and I come in, he turns around, he's walking back to the dugout, and he didn't even say hello. He, he reached out, shook, me, shook my hand, tapped me on the chest. He says, dude, that call was the best. He says, I play it to get fired up. And I've had Aaron Judge, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, what's uh, my boy's name, by Kyle uh, with the with the Phillies used to Schwarber, um, whole bunch of guys after the, the like the the Hanniger call elicited a lot of response, but because the Cal clincher got us into the playoffs, and so many people saw it, and they have players who you know who you admire, you like watching and, and admire from afar come up to you said, dude, you, you crushed that call, you killed it. And and, I, and and Judge and other guys and, and Kimmer said, you know, when I'm going to get jacked up, I, I play that call. I said, whoa, that's deep. That's really cool. That's unbelievable. Did Aaron Judge? Oh, did Aaron Judge come up to you and say something about it? Well, I, you know, I know, yeah, I know him, know him, just hi, how are you? But you know, we would always chat every time we play the Yankees. And then, so I think it was the, uh, was the, I think that year they came to us first. So that was the first time he had seen me since the call. Yeah, and man, I got a. Yeah, I, I have a picture, and he was like, dude, I was so happy for you, and it was great, and really enjoyed it. I know you're big on before the game, uh, I mean, outside of the numbers and anything else going on in whatever given matchup is going on that night, you like going down on the field pregame and talking to whoever possible. Where where did that start? Where did the, the curiosity of wanting to talk to and know as many people as possible. We got to start talking about but foremost I learned that as a newspaper guy when I, you know, when I any sport and uh, and especially especially baseball because you have entree that you don't quite have, you don't have in the NBA. Uh, yeah, you do. You can go in the clubhouse. But here in baseball you can go out in the field and hang out at the cage and hang out in the dugout, hang out in the clubhouse. And you'd be crazy not to do that. I mean, and I don't believe in, you know, the numbers are the numbers and the analytics getting into, you know, third and fourth level. I don't, I try not to get into that quite too deeply because the game's going on 
and you don't want to throw out some stuff that needs an explanation. Meanwhile, the guys hit a ball 400 feet, and you know you're talking about you know the numbers are the numbers. They're great, and they they have a purpose. And and but it's all about for me and what I've grown up with, and from what I've learned at the various places I've worked over the years, it's about storytelling. And it's it's about who's hot, who's not, why, uh, what was what's X Y Z players' motivation, um, what was what were some moments that they had that that was a jump off point for their success, and it's all about humanity, and that's that's what I believe in, and and that's why I'm down there all the time. I mean, it's great to just say, hey man, hey, what do you got for me today? Hey, what's what's going? On? Hey, what happened last night in that game? You know, hey. That slider really sucked in the, in the seventh innings. Yeah, I know. It's like, and I lost. And, you know, you get explanations and you get stories, little nuggets like that. And they don't have to be long stories. They can be 10-second stories, 15-second sto- stories. But that kind of information accentuates um, the, the viewing pleasure and it elucidates uh, the viewers, to, you know, and especially fans when you're a home team guy. People want to know as much as possible without, you know, getting too personal. Not asking anybody for the pin number, but I mean, you know, you want to you want to bring be able to bring their personalities uh, up front, and people really like that. And I know as a consumer, I like it. I like to hear you know what kind of guy uh, like, t- like today or yesterday. Uh, oh, I was I had I had I, don't know, I had Twitter on or something. I was watching the football, and I saw the Mariners were trending, and I clicked on it, and I saw that they signed Cole Tucker, who I get, kid I met when he was with Pittsburgh. And really fine, really good guy. And just if he if he ever makes it, if he ever becomes a, a you know a good hitter and can be a starter, I mean he's got the look, he's got the charisma, he's smart, he's bright, he's got the whole thing. And you know those are the kind of kids you want to bring to the table. And and I and I love meeting those guys. So yeah, that's what we got. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but has there ever been a story or two in your time with the Mariners that over the time you spent down on the field in the clubhouse talking to guys, you got something from somebody where you said, that'd be a great story to tell on the air. People would be fascinated by that. Well, you know, my growing up as a newspaper guy, you know, I worked at, um, at, in Philly in New York as a newspaper guy. My days of being, uh, of admiring, I still admire Woodward and Bernstein, but in, in terms of breaking stories that have more of a negative bent or, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to take down anybody. I've probably, anything that, I don't really look for that kind of information. I fall into some things here and there. Yeah, you know, I know what to put on the air. I know what not to put on the air. Oh, I was actually thinking more in like a positive light. Like, is there anything you picked up from guys in a positive light where it's like, oh, this would be fascinating to share with fans? I generally, you know, I generally put it on the air. Uh-huh. Uh, if I get something good like that, it's it's gonna it's you know I keep a notebook with me. I'm a, you know even if I just have a maybe not a, I'll have an indirect quote or put a couple of key words that are going to stimulate the old noggin here to the conversation. But yeah, I mean generally, if if uh, if you hear me talking about it, I've generally either read it or or, or talked to the guy directly. Seven really- years, David. At the oh, go ahead, Lyle. No, no, go ahead, TJ. I was going to say, Dave, so seven years at the New York Daily News, and then right. you really push your chips in and you went all in on sports casting. What was the moment where you you made the dedication, this is what I'm going to do full time and we're going we're gonna to go chase the dream? Well, I always wanted to, I mean, it was the dream all along since I was 10. I mean, I was broadcasting little, you know, dice baseball games and card baseball games and, 
you know, electric football, you know, where the men go, you hit the, you, you should Google that, you know, we used to actually get off on that. The football games, you set up all 11 guys, press a switch, and the, 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 the table, the, the field vibrates, and the players go like that. So I've been doing this all my life. So when my first uh, uh, TV job, Satellite News Channel, it was doing sports news at 1545, my first play-by-play job. Uh, when was that? I came after... I'd done three years at WNBC Radio, 50,000 lots, 48 states at night, clear channel. Um, uh, and that, I, I think the thing that really fired me up was getting a Temple radio job. And I got to do, you know, Division One football, and that led to ESPN, et cetera, et cetera. So I've known all along this is what I wanted to do. You know, and, I, and from my standpoint, you know, as you as you probably realize, I'm, I'm, I'm the only African-American doing play-by-play on TV, and maybe fifth or sixth ever in the history of the game. And Robert Ford's the only other African-American black guy, American black guy who's doing play-by-play full-time. He does uh, the Astros. Good guy, great broadcaster, New York guy, went to Syracuse. Um, So this is a big deal for both of us uh, to be able to do this. And I, I knew, you know, I thought I was, I knew I was ready at like 30. I got this job. I got the Meredith job. I was in my mid fifties for crying out loud. So um, I, I'm glad I, I was able to stick around and persevere. And, and I've had, I'm having a good run. I've did, I've had some unbelievable jobs, learned a lot, seen a lot. And uh, I tell you what, it has all been a great foundation uh, in this gig uh, doing Mariner baseball for sure. I kind of want to pick your brain about something you learned when you were at WNBC. There's a picture that in that Daniel Kramer article that he put on MOB.com, you getting to interview Willie Mays uh, on WNBC sports night. First of all, love the mustache. Uh, But as someone as yourself who, who, who grew up watching Willie Mays and, and Hank Aaron, I mean, how cool was that when you got to sit him down and talk to him in person? Uh, I was amazed. I was able to breathe. Um, and it's funny, prior to that, there was a charity softball game one time, and a friend of mine called and said, hey, uh, we need you to come up to New Rochelle. Got this game going on, and Willie Mays is going to be there. And I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, Willie Mays is going to play. I said, get the hell out of here. So I drive up, and I get on. I pull in the parking lot, and I see this guy playing first base. I said, that can only be one guy the way he throws, the way he catches. I actually played a softball game with Willie Mays. Interviewed him uh, on on the Core Sports Night show, which was a simulcast WNBC Radio and MSG Network. And we we he was pumping a book, and we knew about two three weeks out that he was coming on. And we, you know, when I was doing WNBC Radio, I always talked about growing up. My father took me to games, and I said, matter of fact, in three weeks, Willie Mays is going to join us, and people went nuts. Flash forward to that date when Willie came in the studio. We and the, the garden you said this Hall of Fame club, which is really a nice little room. And we probably, you know, on a normal night we'd had for the simulcast, we had 50, we might have had 200 people. Grown men stood and cried when Willie Mays came in. And the same thing happened when we had Mickey Mantle stood up and go, See, I told you, Willie Mays, you know. And it, those were two of the coolest, coolest moments I, I've ever had. Another time I interviewed Hank Aaron, he was on because I worked at WNBC with 30 Rock, David Letterman was at 30 Rock at the time. And Hank Aaron was uh, was on, and I remember going upstairs, and my show was on at seven thirty. Letterman tape five thirty to six thirty. So we had the in-house feed, 
and I saw that, you know, Mr. Aaron was coming on. So I ran upstairs and I basically, I said, which door is Hank Aaron going to come out of? I got pulled right over there. I waited for him. I all but tackled him when he came out of, out of the, out of the, uh, out of the studio. And I told him who I was. I said, can you give me a couple of minutes downstairs? We can record something. He said, yes, we did a half hour. The guy was spectacular. Do I have the tape? No, I don't know where the tape is. Uh, <laughs> I have it. It's somewhere. I just can't find it. I got a million tapes. But those those days, and I, you know, the only guy that from my youth that I wanted to interview that I haven't had a chance, and, and I sure would like to get it done, uh, Sandy Koufax, bless his heart, he's 88, maybe 89 on uh, December 31, I think it was. So I've interviewed Jason Brown, Chamberlain, Kareem, you know, Magic, Ron, Mike, uh, not Tiger, but Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, McEnroe. I mean, so many guys, uh, Ali, Frazier, Foreman. I mean, so I've been, I've been interviewed with a million guys and I've been very lucky. In that regard. Are a bunch of those inter- interviews from your show with coach K or did they come from some broadcasts too? Uh, that was stuff. A lot of that was stuff we did, uh, at WNBC and WFAN. And then uh, with, uh, the basketball and beyond with coach K, we had, uh, this is Barbara Bush. Uh, we've had CEOs, um, I mean, heavy hitters, most, a lot of Duke guys. Uh, we've had pretty much everybody in sports. I mean, Nick Saban, Belichick, LeBron, Kobe, Chuck, the Chuckster. Um, uh, did, no, we didn't have Larry Bird, but we've had Bill Walton. So I've had entree to a lot of guys, uh, you know, you know, who's who in sports world over, you know, the course of my career and during the, what, 19, 19 years I worked with Coach K. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's an incredible list, Dave, like that, (laughs) that the, I I couldn't even imagine like the, how you prepare for one, let alone all those lists of, of guys. So that's, yeah, it's been good, man. It's been good. And I've worked with like a hundred guys and I've been able to work with Jay Billis and Mike Tao and Billy Packer and a lot of good dudes, man. Uh, Danny, the late great Danny Green, uh, did a game with, uh, 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 Dan Reeves, Jim Jim Mora, uh, Hall of Famers James Lofton, uh, John Riggins, uh, uh, Rod Woodson. I mean, I've been I've been unbelievably lucky in that regard. Yeah. So ba- when you were growing up in the in the Philly area and you, you're getting into sports broadcasting, was baseball at the top of the list? Was it always oh, number one? No question. Okay. Yeah, no question. I. I, I Every form of baseball, taking a stick, a bat, and hitting something with it, I've done half ball, used a tennis ball, uh, wiffle ball. I played four years of baseball, four years started baseball in high school, a co-captain senior year, two-time MVP. I was a catcher and I played, what, a couple years in college. So, I mean, baseball, I mean, I, people always – somebody asked me that the other day. Of all the sports that you've done, I mean, football, baseball, basketball, I did a one time. I done, I've done boxing. I did a sumo wrestling meet one time, which was really weird. But of the three main sports that you've done, which one do you love most? And I said, it's like asking which one of my kids do I love the most. They're all great. They're different. They're exciting as heck. And uh, I've been blessed to be able to do all that stuff. So with that, before you even started to have the inkling that you were in the running for the Mariners job, like growing up in your early stages in your career, how much was Seattle as a place 
I guess even on your radar, because you're a Philly guy, New York roots, went to college in West Virginia. Like you're an East Coast guy at your core. I'm 95, baby. <laughs> I'm 95. Um, oh, let's see. I, I, I knew, well, I knew of Seattle. I was always good in geography. When I was covering the NBA, I was out there three, four times. And 90, 89 NBA All-Star game was there. I came out and I think I, I just went to that as a fan. I don't think I was working that. The 95 Final Four came out as a fan. So, and my wife almost went to UW uh, for post-grad. Um, so that, and then, oh yeah, when I was doing ESPN, I know I had, I did one game at, I did a couple games at the Kingdom. One, I worked with Jerry Royce. Mariners got a hold, uh, really roughed up Roger Clemens in an April game we did, I want to say 93. 94 probably came out, and then 05, 04, 05, something like that. I was out there for some games. But, uh, yeah, I mean, who knew it was going to be, you know, working at Seattle and going into year 18? It was never a thought. Why would there have been? So how did it start to come about, like, when you started to get the rumblings that it was going to be open and you may be somebody they consider? Uh, You know, the guy who's now my boss, Kevin Martinez, I knew him from his days at Syracuse with my brother-in-law. I did liners for them when they were doing radio at baseball uh, in Syracuse. And then, like I said, I came out there a couple of times uh, for ESPN. And, and, you know, I said, I liked it. You know, it's a good-looking town. It, you know, I wasn't enamored of the kingdom, but, I mean, I think by the, I think the second two times I was out there was at, at, um, at uh, Safeco Field. I said, it's pretty cool. I said, if anything ever happens, you know, let me know. And then, you know, flash forward to Halloween 06, get a call, send in a tape, got the job. I mean, you know, long story short. So, and I, I've enjoyed the heck out of it. So I, I mean, I continue to enjoy it and, and root like heck that, uh, you know, we can uh, get something done this year. So diving even a little further into it, I've always been really, really curious how a interview for a big league broadcaster goes like i'm assuming you have to fly out there at least once or twice and when you do that like who are you sitting down with what questions are they asking you like what are they having you do any type of other things other than sitting around answering questions um you know they'd seen the tape they liked the tape i was a finalist i sat down in a boardroom you know a long boardroom uh you know one rectangle i was sitting in the middle and there must have been 12 or 13 people in there and i had had questions fired at me how would you handle this situation then you know what's your philosophy on this that type of stuff and uh i think basically it was just you know they wanted to get a feel uh it was i mean it wasn't like a prosecution but you know they were they were throwing questions and it's funny mike the little school i went to bethany college that's how we to graduate you had to go through uh a written exam and oral comprehensive. And when I sat down and saw all these people in the room, I said, I got this because I've done this before. And I wasn't, I wasn't freaked out at all. It was comfortable. And it just, just was myself. And, um, uh, we'll go from there. I mean, obviously, you know, they, again, they liked the tape. Um, I think the, my references were pretty extraordinary. I mean, uh, I had a lot of, you know, top shelf people vouching for me. And, um, you know, here, here we are. So Dave, I want to fast forward then to 2012, a very memorable year for Mariners fans. And especially for you as a broadcaster, uh, how long did it take to set in that you became the first television broadcaster to ever call two perfect games in one season? 
Wow. You know, I, every time I hear that, I always think Scully had to have beaten that. I, I find I, I find it hard to believe I hold that distinction, but um, no, it's cool. I mean, the I had called the Umber uh, Perfecto against the Mariners. We were only on in Seattle and Chicago, and then they came to us final couple three outs. I think it was final two outs, uh, and that was in April. Then August, Felix throws the Perfecto, and that was that was amazing. And I had never been in a situation. We no, I didn't even call a no no at that point. So Perfecto uh, by Umber was was pretty cool. It was really cool. It's working Eric Caros to this day. I mean, we have that in common every time I see him. Hey, what's up, buddy? Uh, but then, you know, obviously Felix was in his prime. He throws that no no one nothing against Tampa Bay uh, later on in August. Was it August fifteenth? I think it was. And uh, that was special. And I remember. What do you think that the when Umber threw the perfect game? That was a Saturday. And I remember my wife and I went out to dinner at Hopanesa on First Avenue. And my phone was blown up, but a good friend of mine uh, called me and he said, the brothers at the lodge want to tell you, you're the first black guy to call something like that. I was like, hey, thank you very much. Hey. <laughs> you know? um, and then the the emotion from the Felix, because he, you know, he was our guy. He was the king. And, and that he was the best thing we had during those years. I mean, never forget it. And, and until... Uh, see, when I first got to Seattle, I thought the, the biggest broadcast moment I had was 2006, George Mason upsetting UConn uh, to go to the Final Four. That was number one. And then the Umber was number one. And then the Phyllis was number one. But now, and then the, uh, the Hanniger was my number one called the Nelson Cal Raleigh call. So there's just some good moments there. Uh, I have to just go back, start at the Umber one because we could probably spend the rest of the day on the, on the Felix one. Uh, did Brendan Ryan swing? Uh, ooh, it's awfully close. It's yeah. Really close. It's really yeah, but close. I, I was gonna say, I'm, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you are glad for for the call's sake. Yeah, that yeah, he decided absolutely. to argue instead of run it out because he would have. Yeah, been <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, baseball justice, I guess. And Brendan's a good dude, and uh, I, you know, he's a really good guy. I enjoyed having him here. He was what a personality. Uh, well, that was an incredible moment, and I don't think Philip Umber. Well, he's got that memory for a life that forever, because I don't think much, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of success after that. But, you know, he's always got that moment. So then if we're going to fast forward to the Felix one, when you guys start to get the sense of what's going on, are you guys silent between innings in the booth, too? Like, do you guys not want to say anything? You know, I don't believe in that stuff. You know, my newspaper background and as a consumer, if a guy's throwing a perfect game, I don't believe in this, you know, I don't want you copying off my test here in fourth grade. You know, it does, you know, <laughs> you know, broadcaster, broadcaster, not narrowcaster. That whole thing about not saying anything, that's what the boys do in the dugout. God bless them. Let them have it. No problem. And Ozzy Smith, I remember, was at a charity golf event. And I told Ozzy I did that. What you doing it for, man? You're going to mess around. He said, hey, please. So if I had that kind of power, you know how many rings I would have right now? If, I, if my words were... <laughs> determining the, the fate and, and, and what's going on in the field. I said, dude, I have as many rings as Yogi Berra and Bill Russell. Get out of here. Um, you got to tell the story. Late great Tim McCarver, he came up to me one time after Doug Fister had a no-no broken up by Nick Markakis, seventh inning at our place. And, and, and it was a Friday, and Tim was there to do a Saturday broadcast. 
I knew him a little bit. And, you know, really love his wife. I was a huge fan. He and Joe Torre were my guys going up. Anyway, because I was a catcher. He says, hey, what's this I hear about you talking about a no-hitter? I said, really? And I was getting ready to, like, really? We're going we're gonna to do this? He says, no, I'm just busting your chops. He says, I'm glad you did it. That's where you're supposed to do it. He said, let me tell you something. So one time I came home after a game, I put my bags down and turn on the TV and I get, there's a game on and I go in the kitchen and I'm doing what I got to do. And then I come back, it's the ninth inning, the guy said, so-and-so's got a perfect game. Now, if I had known that in the sixth inning, I'd have sat my butt down and watched the game. So, I mean, that's the way I, I, I look at it. And the other thing too, Mr. Scully said, Mr. Enberg said, Mr. Marty Brenneman, all these guys are Hall of Famers. David, call what you see. Tell us what's happening on the field. End of story. I if guess. I to, yeah. oh. No, so I'm with you on that. And there's two people who have some broadcasting background. I'm with you. You have to tell the story when you're on the air. I guess I was just curious if off the air, you were getting a little like oh. superstitious in your hey, own right. No, I wasn't getting superstitious. I was trying to keep from hyperventilating. I mean, I, I remember I threw the break one time. He's on the edge of Mark, immortality. Felix Hernandez, a perfect game. And a six, six. You know, I was like. <laughs> It's crazy. Crazy. So when the eighth inning and ninth inning of that game is rolling around, are are you thinking like this can't like am I crazy? I think this is happening again. Like this already yeah. happened four months ago and this is yeah. happening again. Uh yeah, and I and I and again I try to compose myself. Um and I, I had an idea. Now I will say, you know, let me just sort of put a little shade on a little bit what I said earlier about having something we you know thought about to say i i just you know i just wrote down you know first time and i kept t- telling the producer i said this is this would be the first i said i want to make sure i got this and i wanted to put it in sort of a you know say what happened it's like when i was a newspaper writer especially as for an am paper game ends you got to write a bullet and leave 30 you know maybe two paragraphs or something so basically i was just repeating history what which i had been trained to do and that's what it did hey you know 34 years 190 whatever yada 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 Perfect game thrown by a man or done by the king. Um, yeah, I sort of, I, I won't say I rehearsed it, but I had those, that nugget, you know, the nuggets in there about uh, first time and all. I made sure I had that. Yeah. Dave, if we were going to start to wrap this up, I wanted to put you on the spot a little bit again. And I know you've highlighted a few of your favorite moments in your time with the Mariners, but if you had to pick three calls that you've had, in your time in Seattle, do you have a top three favorite? Well, uh, the was that 18? Yeah, 18, we flirted with the playoffs. Game 161, Nelly hits a home three, uh, I think it was a three-run homer to tie it at 7-7 in the seventh against Oakland. That's a moment I I, 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 I absolutely love that moment. Uh, there was a 15 extra, 15-inning, Game at home on a Sunday, the day Ho Lee won on a walk-off home run against who's that left-hander? I stole it. Uh, Deekman, right? Yeah, Jake Deekman. Um, and then of course you know Cal and, and Mitch Iwakuma's uh, no hitter was pretty cool. I remember Austin Jackson left went into the left center field, sort of shallow left center field gap for the final out. So those are the ones that sort of there was a there was another one, a Jose. There was a Jamie Burke game-winning home run, like my first year. Uh, Ichiro hit a, a walk-off against Mariano Rivera at our place. 
couple of Hall of Famers going to battle here. Ichiro is beating Mariano Rivera. The Mariners won the game. That was uh, so. Those those come to mind. Uh, uh, Jose Lopez had a game winner one time into an extra inning game that went forever. Uh, and one, I tell you, it, it was a loss. That loss to Houston, we had the 18 inning game, was one of the most exciting games I've ever been around at any time. I mean, what, you know, everything was on the line, trying to stay alive, and you know, they, you know, and that's a series. Looking back on it, boy, I mean, I always tell, you know, tell Dusty, Dusty Baker says we had you. He says, yeah, you let us go. I mean, we, Mariners in all three of those games, and had they won, uh, they could have done some damage that year. And another year that. Chris Young, who's the you know the GM of the Rangers, when he was with the Mariners in '14, Mariners pitching was really good. The deep staff, I think everybody made their starts. No injuries, didn't hit really well, but the pitching was really good. And I remember seeing Chris the next year, and he said, "Man, there were so many guys out there. So glad we got eliminated because they were afraid of our pitching staff." I never forget. I remember he told me that story. I remember it to this day and, uh, because you had Felix, you had Kuma, you had Cy. And a couple other guys were getting. I can't remember the rest of the staff. And the bullpen was solid. So that, those are some, those are some really good moments that that come to mind. You know, off the top of my head right now. Last thing for me, Dave. What are you most looking to at spring training this year? Well, just seeing it. You know, like everybody says, you want to see the guys. You want to see, you know, get to see Rick and you know, and Gary and Aaron, and and then you know, seeing the players, the new guys. Uh, looking forward to seeing Julio. I, I'm, you know, I'm sure he learned a heck of a lot last year. Um, glad to have Hanniger back. I'm praying that he can play 157 games again, like he did those two great years that he had with us. Uh, uh, who we got? We got Luke Rayleigh's a new guy. We got Arias. Um, I'm hoping that they'll be big contributors. You know, everybody knows. You know, it's been relatively quiet, so. Hopefully, you know, JP can come back and have another big year. Uh, I would, I hear, I've always heard so many good things about Canzone as a hitter, so now he's going to be with us from day one. He's going to get a great opportunity. Um, you know, see, you know, see the coaching staff and see all the guys who is a Brent Brown is, is with us. Look forward to meeting. I think I've met him before, but looking forward to talking to him about his philosophy. You know, Scott Service and, and Jerry and Pete Woodworth. I mean, you're going down the line. So, you know, get back into the baseball routine again, man. It's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit different for us being where we are, you know, with the travel we have to do, but it is what it is. You know, we travel first class, we stay in first class hotels. So I'm not beefing, but at, at all. So no, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be fun. Well, Dave, we really appreciate taking some time to join us here today. As you said, spring training right around the corner. Uh, it's going to be sunny. It's going to be warm. Vibes Amen. are going to be good. So we're looking yeah. forward to it. Um, so appreciate you, Dave, again, taking some time to join us here today. It was awesome. That's, I really appreciate it guys. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We had a bad weather day here in New York. It looked like it was dark at two o'clock and it was cold and windy all day. So and I'm sure you guys have weather, similar, uh, similar weather pattern out in Seattle. So you guys stay warm and, uh, try to get as much light on yourself as possible. Soak up the, the, the light. Looking forward to Arizona. Good to see you guys. Be well. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate Dave Sims taking some time to join us. Before we wrap up the show, let's hear a word from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, 
or you're just a human who lives in this world who is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Well, that'll just about do it for this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to download, rate and review, five stars. It helps out a ton. The written reviews do too. You're watching on YouTube. Again, that red subscribe button, it's free. It takes about a second to just click it. You're helping out the channel a bunch. Like, comment as well, and then follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.